Before the intro music begins, I'd like to express my gratitude to all the listeners who have subscribed and listened to Startup Anthology podcast. The aim of Startup Anthology is to celebrate and share the stories and experiences of startup employees and is not meant to reflect any opinion or comment about any particular company. Our goal is to create a community centered around the unique working culture of startups. In this episode of Startup Anthology, the podcast, I'll be speaking with my friend, Aaron Coker. Aaron is originally from Corpus Christi, Texas, and holds a Bachelor's of Science in Advertising from the University of Texas. Aaron has worked at three different startups, one of which he co-founded, and the other two as an employee. He has held positions such as Director of Web Design and Development, Senior Software Engineer, and other senior development roles. He currently resides in Austin, Texas, with his wife and three children. In this episode, we'll delve into Aaron's journey through startup life, the viable lessons he has learned along the way, and his personal story. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. I've been thinking a lot because I've been like listening to your podcast and following along with it. And a lot of that is just because you have to be a crazy person to want to join a startup. You're entering into just a ton of volatility. It's so fun. It's You take the entire life cycle of an organization. So the first real job I had was at a hundred year old shoe company. They were famous for giving shoes sizes, which shockingly, there was a time where that was not an invention. They just had one size shoes. But yeah, I was at, I was at this place. They were moving into e-commerce and they had purchased an e-commerce company, a place called shoes.com. And, and so they had two sites when I joined that were in the e-commerce 100. And that was a big deal. Famous Footwear was the other one. So, oh. yeah. Are they still around? Yeah, they're doing great. Okay. Shoes.com's not, I don't know what happened. I don't know. And so I think when I end up looking at what I ended up doing and what I see from a lot of different people who I enjoy from the startup world, is something similar to what I experienced, which is like this feeling of like, I just didn't fit anywhere. I went to school for mechanical engineering and did you uh, really? I did. I didn't finish in mechanical okay. engineering. But that Yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed the program and I was doing a lot of stuff with student leadership and things mm -hmm. like that. And I woke up one day and I was like, I don't want to do this. That might have been influenced by the fact I was like writing a Renaissance dinner theater play. Yeah. And so very mechanical engineering. Very mechanical engineering. I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to figure out what it is to be like a writer. And so I went into the creative advertising program. Absolutely loved the people. Mm -hmm. Graduated. Job was terrible. I think there, there are people I know who like managed to really enjoy it. But I right. was like writing long form copy for a credit union here in town. That was not the dream. Like, um, like user agreements and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. No, like the pamphlets that oh. people give you. And then you're like... This is, you gave me garbage, right? Do I have to read this? Yeah. That pamphlet. Yeah, it was awesome. And that was after winning the student Addy at, at school. That was the... Interesting. The, yeah, it was weird. So I did that for a year, mm -hmm. and then I sold absolutely everything that I had and went to Europe for a month with a friend of mine. Okay. When I got back, I was in New York, and I was, like, hitting up all the different ad agencies around town, and I was still thinking, you know what? This would be terrible. I do not want to do this job. So I got a call from some friends of mine here in Austin who wanted to start a company, right? I'm 24 at this point. Okay. And we do it so much harder than I thought it was going to be and so much more expensive. 
we renovated a 3,000 square foot warehouse on the east side of Austin. Okay. Now, mind you, none of us were qualified to renovate a warehouse. Whoa, 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 Aaron, yeah. you did some classes in mechanical engineering. I did, yeah. I did, absolutely. You know what? I think that, that qualification probably like nails it. Yeah, yeah, I knew about gravity, so I'm ready for a building inspection. But yeah, like we like redid the whole thing. We put in new AC systems, brand new electrical. It was crazy. Why? We spent a ton of time trying to find a place to rent. And artist types, this was like an artist collective that was becoming something. Mm. And just none of the places spoke to us. We were not, yeah, that look you gave me, mm -hmm. that's the right look. Yeah, uh, spoke, huh? Yeah, none of them spoke to us. But yeah, that I was, it was so strange. But again, like incredible people. I remember this time where one of the guys in the group came up and poked me in the chest. And mind you, these guys had all been like doing music videos and films and whatnot. They'd been together for a while. And he said, you're not one of us, right? You're not a creator. And it was so strange, right? Because I'd gone through the creative sequence with a bunch of brilliant people. I started a film festival at UT with uh, a couple of other people. and. Like I'd been in that group, but it was yet again like another space that I didn't really fit. Mm -hmm. Ended up exiting that company. A lot of good memories, a lot of really hard ones. And I think I was like shell-shocked for a while. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that being vulnerable with those people starting this sort of company, oh, yeah. right? Shoulder to shoulder with them in the trenches, not very many people. And yeah. so you're like, you're working hard, sharing yeah. the responsibility, the burden, the, the wins, the losses. Yeah. I think the hardest part for me in that whole process was there were a couple of guys there who weren't considered among the three co-founders who literally bled with me to work on that space. And I had, I'd made a lot of optimistic promises about, hey, we're gonna be able to do this for you, we're gonna be able to have these things. And the truth was we just, we ran out of money mm. and we ran out of capability to do some of that stuff. And I think that was the first time that I really felt like, wow, it is awful to disappoint people. But it gave me a lot of grace for like leaders going forward because mm -hmm. having gone through this period of feeling like a really strong conviction to say, I'm gonna treat you all and then getting into a scenario where I literally could not follow through with those things. We just didn't, we didn't have a penny in the bank at one point. And it was hard, but from there, then I moved to St. Louis and yeah. that's when I joined the e-commerce group. And that was a really weird scenario because there was this, this team that I ended up getting dropped into. This was basically an accident. I'd okay. gone through a temp hiring program because I wanted to build up my own company again well, in St. Louis. Let me interrupt yeah. real quick. I'm yeah, sorry. please. What role did you go into in that when you moved to St. Louis? When did you start touching a computer? Oh, uh, oh, that's a very good question. I started because up until now, computer science has not been part of the conversation. I didn't even know how much I was gonna enjoy. But the second company that I had done, this is one that I struck out on my own to do. All the companies have ridiculous names. The first one was Super All Right. The second one was Floating Heads. Okay, wait, you yeah. are from Texas, South Texas. Yeah. You went to school in Austin. This is where Dazed and Confused were Yeah, yeah that's right. It's pretty on point. Yeah, we're, we're doing great. I had a friend of mine. And you're artistic, right? You're creative. That's right, I'm creative. Although there is a person I can point at it who really disagrees with that statement. I had hired somebody to build the website and like we, we had a conversation about what I wanted to do. It was a guy holding a bunch of balloons that were like heads and whenever you moused over them, they would talk. It was weird. Is that Flash? 
Yeah. Yeah, back oh, in the day. Man, that oh, was a awesome. flash site. Yeah, that was pretty rough. But I hired somebody to do that. I didn't even do it myself. Okay. And then I had actually one of my dad's business friends say, for unknown reasons, I really like your website. Will you build me one? So I said, yes, absolutely. I'll build you a website. Mm -hmm. And then I basically didn't sleep for a okay. month because I had to learn how to build a website. This is pre-Wix. Yeah. This was all HTML. Yeah. yeah. So at the time, WordPress was still a pretty big thing. Okay. But the problem that you ran into with WordPress at that time, it's before the sort of plug-in economy had really developed. It was pretty narrow in what it was able to do. And they had a bunch of, we want to be able to upload these files and password protected stuff. And again, I had no idea what I was signing up for. And it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. But there's a 24-hour coffee shop here in town called Epoch. Mm. And I basically lived there. And at the end of a month, I turned the site over and it, it like worked, which was magic. Mm -hmm. And then I had this thing just like unlocked it where I was just like, holy crap, this is what I want to do. Like I want to work in software. Yes, you probably weren't creative, like that guy was saying. Yeah. Like I created the point of just like using that side of your brain the whole time. Yeah. But also you, the background of mechanical engineering yeah. side yeah. is very analytical. And it's like, now you found a way to combine the two. That's the, right, the yeah. Anal analytical portion of code to create something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it was so fun. My specialty for the next four or five years was just going into companies and learning what they needed. From, for a website. And and I would do a lot of things, like I would sit down and I'd say, hey, can you just use your computer in front of me? Which was amazing, yeah. right? Because you would see people and if they open up their computer and you've got like a thousand desktop icons, you're like, all right, we're gonna give you one button. You're not gonna get much more than that. And, and so you start designing with people in mind. And then when I went to that temp agency, I just moved to St. Louis and I ended up getting asked to, to join full time, turned it down like three times. They were very persistent. And then I joined oh, as a, a senior art director. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and then about three months later, I was managing the software development team. I don't, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Like, like that's Aaron. It was, it was really interesting. But this team that I joined on, one guy only wore a, a Batman hoodie to work just solid black and yellow, and he would usually wear it with the hood up in meetings. Did he wear shoes? Yeah, super, yeah, he definitely wore shoes, yeah. And then there was another guy who would do a lot of side hustles at night, would literally fall asleep. You would hear, he had a little cubicle, and he had some stuff he would prop up next to his cubicle so that the sun wouldn't get in his eyes while he was sleeping in his den. But it was like this forgotten team yeah. inside of a 100-year-old shoe company. Yeah. So we got to build a whole new team. And it was incredible. The most incredible part of that were I, we had a couple of hires really early on that I got to bring on board. People, and I don't know how we got them, but they were so great. And we would spend every lunch just like talking about how are we going to make this better? And by the time I left, which was about, I spent a while there, I spent eight years there. By the time I left, I'd been a manager. At one point I was the director of web design and development. And I moved back into a, a senior development role, which is like a thing that I do. I had these great friends, but then I also had, we pitched a project mm -hmm. that was an RFID reader that would synchronize with a tablet. And we put these RFIDs on shoes and you'd put the shoe on this platform that we designed. We had a, we had a 3D printed, I designed my first circuit board on this thing. 
and you would, you would put the shoe on there and it would bring up all the information in that store. Here are all the sizes available in the store. We tied it in with all the recommendations that would happen online because the online recommendations were pretty rich. And then we could tie that to what of these recommendations are in the store and then what stores nearby might have your size if we don't have your size. And so it was like, wow. we were trying to bridge this like digital physical divide. I pitched it. Uh, that was like another one of those experiences where we had scheduled the pitch before we had a working prototype. And within the company? Within the company. Okay. So I, we pitched it to the VP of software and I stayed up all night and then went straight from there into the pitch and we got internally funded, just me and my buddy AJ. And nice. it was incredible. And about a month after that, I competed in a hackathon in St. Louis that was like this big hackathon. They had a total of a million dollars in prizes. Okay. And it got a pretty incredible turnout. And did you do something related or was it? No, this different? was totally different. This actually was like a homelessness hackathon, mm -hmm. which was like, I'd consider it an ethical gray area to be honest, because it was a lot of money to try to solve and homelessness. homelessness. But they gave it to and the person who hacked it. Right. Yeah. And you're like, because hackathons they produce really interesting ideas mm -hmm. but they produce prototypes right and yeah, so that's not scalable it's a pretty expensive prototype when you could put that to something else but my team won grand prize there they yeah we, we I, I think we walked away with somewhere between 350 and 400 thousand dollars wow. which was like how many people on the team unbelievable there are five of us you split it or yeah even split nice. yeah so that's it was cool. it was really amazing one of the girls on the team was able to like um, pay off all our student loans and like I, I think it reset a lot of us uh, one of the guys went to uber as a designer after mm. that he's incredible what a talent uh, and and I think it I think it just shaped our vision mm. and I'm fresh off of this hackathon thing I'm sitting in because the shoe company they had their own lathes like it was the wildest contraption I've ever seen. Like a lathe, right? You said yeah, yeah, so they had this room in the back that was no longer used where okay. they would make the lasts for shoes to wrap them with leather and do prototypes mm -hmm. in this area. But it was like literally gathering dust. It was these big machines. After we got funded, they just shoved us into that room because we were putting together electronics and they needed to do something with this. I'm fresh off of this hackathon win going through this self-funded thing where I can already see the end of it, right? They're about to, they're going to wind down the program before we've even gotten it into stores because honestly, I think it was too risky. Was too ambitious? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I still love the fact that they did it. It, it, was, it was right around that time that a friend of mine moved to a startup here. He joined a startup here in Austin. It was a friend from St. Louis. And he gives me a call. He's like, hey, man, they are doing something special here. This is this eco-friendly company. And I interviewed with them. Did another all-nighter to get ready because they have a take-home assignment. And I had been putting it off. And around 8 p.m. the night before, I was like, I should probably do something. Procrastinator? Yeah. yeah. I think it's that we had just finished remodeling this house. We had some incredible friendships. And oh, you just you didn't want to go. I wasn't. I, I just wasn't sure. Yeah, right? you're looking for an excuse. And, and at the same time, it was one of those things where it's like, I'd rather have somebody say, hey, come join us than not even get that opportunity. And I think it was around like eight o'clock the night before that I was just like, yeah, I want them to see what I can do. And I want to be invited. Mm. And yeah, it went, it, it went well. There's a FOMO with yeah, people yeah, yeah. startups. It's like fear of missing out on something. You're not, <laughs> not even 
in it yet. Yeah. You're like, oh, they need to like me and I need to go hang out with them. Yeah. And there's also a FOMO of some sort. Yeah. It's this really special thing where you say, if they do change the world mm -hmm. in the way they want to change the world, don't you want to be one of the people doing it? Yeah. It's why like, not? Absolutely. Yeah. Sign up for that. There's no, we're no Eeyores, right? Yeah. The world... My tail fell off again. <laughs> We're always yeah. Tigger. Yeah. I had to go out there. And... Oh, absolutely. It's just, I, I think you have to have a sort of rugged optimism. The term at that startup was buoyancy. But we need people who are buoyant. Imagine like a pool float just mm -hmm. being pressed underwater. Mm -hmm. You want it to pop back up to the surface, right? You want people who, like their default Re mode. Resilient. Is, is, yeah, resilient yeah. and optimistic. Because if you're not... When you're in a space where you're trying to invent something new, the vast majority of times you're just gonna fail and you're gonna fail a lot. Most startups that have really made it, they had to go through a bunch of iterations internally of, I thought I was going here, but I ended up going here, right? Quick pivot. Yeah, they have, you have to be willing to pivot without sitting there and saying, oh no, my one idea failed. Because the truth is, Anybody will tell you this. Anybody who's ever tried to start something will tell you this. Ideas are cheap. Anybody can have an idea. There was a period where, I don't know, I think it was like get rich quick app fever. I would get like once a week, maybe once every two weeks, I would get some somebody asking me to build an app for them. Okay. Because they had an idea. And it was always like, I have this big idea I can't tell you about. We have to meet in secret. You have to sign this paper. And then we'd get there and we'd meet and he'd be like, it's like Facebook for vacuum cleaners. And you're like, okay, I don't know. Cool. All right. Yeah. This, sure, this could work. So funny you say ideas are cheap. Yeah. So this whole startup anthology thing is like an idea. And to me it's simple, but I don't understand yet why people are excited about it. Yeah. Why hasn't someone done this before? Why, why hasn't anyone talked to startup employees? They have the stories because they gravitate towards these visionaries, mm -hmm. be it whatever the vision is. Those people, the startup employees co uh, coalesce around them. Yeah. They can't not do it yeah. because of what we were talking about earlier, if you're missing out. Or if they really do it, I want to be there. I think the stories of startup employees, for me, I really resonate with the stories and the mindsets of startup employees. But they're less polarizing. I will say the second reason that I don't think you see like startup employee stories as much is the radical personal transformation I think you have to go through in order to become a successful startup founder. It's- Well, why not the employee though? I think the employees do it too, but I think that it's, it's more temporary, right? Because every startup founders typically are people that are able to be followed. And you have these people who are willing to like pick up their tools and follow someone and put sweat equity into mm -hmm. an idea and mm -hmm. into a vision. And I think that just putting your sweat and your time and your energy into something doesn't require the sort of headstrong bravado that I think is required for CEOs. I think it's a different, it's different, you're right. Headstrong might not be the right word. Because I, I think because they're you headstrong. You cannot give up. Well, you have, you have to persevere through it. Yeah. You have to, I think they're all headstrong because yeah. everyone's passionate about it, right? So passion is, is what it's all about. You don't want someone just coming and walking out going home. They have to live and breathe it. Yeah. But when you live and breathe something, that opens you up to vulnerability and opens you up to a greater disappointment if something doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. So I think because of that, people don't like to share their pain. 
yeah. um, that vulnerability, like, oh, because they're showing that I'm strong every day. I've said this to a number of people, but I think every startup will break your heart. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you're going to join for a vision and it's going to grow to a place. If it succeeds, it's going to grow to a place where it changes fundamentally from the seed that it was when you were there. And your role is going to have to change. I think you, you talked a little bit with Justin about that. You have to go from like a generalist to a specialist. Yeah, you're, there's that's a, a big thing for Startup Anthology is for people to realize that. Yeah. Because when you were low number employee, the first 25, and the hierarchy is flat, yeah. you create a personal bond and relationship with everyone. Yeah. Everyone knows everything. There's yeah. no secrets. And you expect that you're going to go from this generalist position into some management role. You might not be ready for it. Right. And maybe the company doesn't need it either. And so when it doesn't happen to you, you get disappointed because that expectation wasn't set at the outset. But they, they said, and you yeah. get pushed out because of whatever reason, because you're not ready for it. Yeah. Honestly, you're not ready for it. It hurts. Yeah. I think that that feels similar to some of the experiences that, that I've had. And what we're not ready for it is you can be capable of doing something and not enjoy it. I am good at math. I do not want to be an accountant. I would not enjoy it. And that, that's not to say that that is a fine profession. I just can't do it. There is something in my brain that I sit down and I'm like, I don't know about this spreadsheet. Can I automate this? But yeah, I, and so I think you have the startup that grows. You also have the startup that, that fails, right? Like the that first- happens more times than not. Oh yeah, it happens more times than not. The very first time I was at a startup and there was a day, I had just moved across the country. My wife was, the same time pregnant. zone. I don't know if you could say across the country. If the Midwest versus Texas, when we moved, my wife was like seven or eight months pregnant. That was probably not a great decision or a time to move. Did you make her carry everything heavy? Yeah. yeah. I was tired. Been working a lot on my computer. No, but like we, we got there and in about three months after we got there, one morning around like 10 in the morning, people were getting tapped on the shoulder and they were walking off to a room and they'd come back with a manila envelope in their hand and they would give me a meaningful look and then walk out the door. And by around like 11.30 or noon, a third of the seats were empty. And I'm freaking out. Mm. And that was the first time that I was part of a layoff. And, and I think what is, what's hard about it is it's necessary. It's necessary because we want the business to succeed and at the same time, you're told you, you have a job and now yeah. you don't. You're told you have a mission and now you don't. Oh, okay. Pete, this is not just, this is not a paycheck that people are signing up for. It's a and, vocation. And like the people next to you, they're the ones that you're relying on because you're always going to be lean. Like until you get like a, just a, a pile of money, you're going to be so lean that there, there isn't going to be a lot of like blood to squeeze out of that stone. Well, and then yeah. we don't want to be there if there's a whole bunch of resources either. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Like I want, I desperately want to be essential wherever I am. I don't want to imagine if I don't show up this week, everything will be the same. That seems devastating. Well, sometimes I do. Yeah. <laughs> that one, that startup actually ended up just going through a rough patch and my wife was pretty interested to get back to St. Louis. So we actually went back, right? And then I worked at a company that was great. It was this big enterprise company had great benefits. Whenever I walked in, I walked past like a little hospital. They had a, a, a full-time doctor there who just do doctor stuff. So you could just walk in and be like, 
please engage in doctor stuff. Take was, my blood. Yeah, take my blood. That's what I need. And it was really good. And it did not scratch that itch. And, and I was mm. ready to, to do something again. And then it was the start of COVID and I got that call for the start of, and I was not sure. And then I did an interview with two of the people there, two of the techni technical leaders in the space. One would be my future boss and the other one would just be somebody that I mostly admired from afar. But they just, they blew me away. These guys, the way their brains worked, the way that they talked about this thing, there was a magnetism there that you thought, mm. okay, I've seen people who talk and I've seen people who like do. These guys did stuff. Still to this day, the, the guy who ended up being my boss, I have never worked with a more capable human being in my life. Like, bar none. He also didn't like really sleep at that time. Got a lot of messages two in the morning. If you put a margarita in this guy, mm. He'd code all night and he'd be sending you Slack messages. I had to mute my phone at midnight just so mm -hmm. that I could sleep. A little bit, yeah. But yeah. you did the same thing, right? I did, when yeah. You were I did. Making that guy's website. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So, what major lesson did you learn in this experience? Yeah. What did you learn? Yeah, that's a really good question. A couple of things. Day one, right? I think you have to expect that whatever you're doing, you're trying to do something brand new. And you can't expect that it's going to work the same way that everything else you've done is going to work. So when I went to the big enterprise company, in week two, I was like, fantastic. I know all of your architecture. I know how to work in this system. I can be very effective. Because it was all like pieces of things that I'd already done, just put together in unique ways. But you go to a startup, and stuff like, oh, I've never seen that before. I've never thought about a problem that way before. And I think that the first thing is you have to give yourself a window of time to just be the dumbest person in the room. Just ask every question you can, because the thing that you're trying to shortcut, everybody's there to get something done. It is not about your ego. It is not about whether or not you know something. There are no cards that you need to hold. If you have a question, you just ask every question you have. That That's true. Everyone that I've worked with so far, is that questioning attitude. Yeah. And it's not just what do I need to do. Yeah. It's what do I need to do. Why are we doing it that way? Yeah. How have you done in the past? Why does this work this way with that? And just that, just asking those questions all the time and never satisfied with the answer. Yeah. Almost like they're anxious about it. Not in a bad way, but like, like wanting to tinker with it. I think it's, I've taken a lot of things apart in my yeah. life. Very few of them have ever come back together, but I just have to know. I have to know how a thing works. Objective analysis is the best type of analysis. Yeah. So I think that's the first part, is get ready to learn absolutely as much as you can. And then you get to bring your creativity to the table after that. And you really get to do something different. But you shouldn't approach it from the perspective of, if I don't know everything about how to do this job, like maybe I'm not a good fit. Because if you join the right place, nobody's a good fit. You have to learn it while you're there. The other thing is I wanted to ask, what was your initial hire at the start of the What was your job title? Oh, yeah, a senior software engineer. Senior software engineer. And I remember you elbows deep cleaning up a mess that I yeah. broke something. <laughs> yeah. And that's the cool part. Everyone's a journalist. Because yeah. you're a software engineer, you yeah. weren't afraid to come out there and dive in head first yeah. and help out with something that was not your purview. I think, yeah, that was actually a really good memory because we were just out there. It was me and a controls engineer and we were just shoveling for like an hour. 
right? But I wanted to be in that. Because we spent so much time in the field, I was dirty and dusty and physically exhausted in I mean, ways that- How did you go through? Oh, no, I, I actually, I only went through two. And that, I credit that because I think Apple makes a pretty nice app laptop. <laughs> but there was this one location. And when I got there, one, one of the people on the team walked up to me and said, hey, it gets pretty windy at night. You should have these. And he gave me ski goggles, right? And of course something goes sideways, right? I realized, hey, if I can fix this code, our night's gonna go a lot better. And this is when we were working, I think we were just working nights at mm -hmm. that location. Yeah. But I was there in the middle of a dust storm trying to code this thing out. And every port on my computer was filled with dust. It would be like a crackle and a crunch every time I put a USB cable in there for the next month. I don't. I went through at least two cans of those air compressor sprays <laughs> trying to get stuff out of it. Yeah. One of my keys just stopped working, and I had to pull that off and get it cleaned. And it was just like. Which key was it? It was the F. F. Yeah. You did that one a lot. Uh, yeah. Excessively, you would say. Making functions. <laughs> Making functions. Yeah. yeah. The function definition. Yeah. yeah. But man, I love that because there's this thing that happened with the industrial revolution where. They were all gravitating towards this assembly line mentality. They're, the fact that we have job titles, right? Mm. And you're like, here's all the expertise and this is exactly what I want you to do. It's just, you're saying, you need to fill this exact role. And then you look at a startup and you're like, the startup is saying, we don't actually know what you're going to do. Your job was definitely not what you did. Yeah. And, and my job, many days, was not like what I thought I came there to do. Yeah, I that was, I could fit into any role, except for programming. I couldn't fit into programming. I, I, I felt bad. I could come help you. I think you could. We just needed a couple of Saturdays to get you up to speed. The generalist yeah. thing is very much a thing. Yeah. And, but, and we gravitate towards that. I think you have to, I think you have to love it. I'm going to change the, the subject a little bit. Yeah, please. How has your family dealt with uh, the change, the, the constant changing, the changing of jobs, moving back and forth? Yeah, I think the constant changing of location was probably the hardest, especially when you go through those like formative periods in your life where you have friendships and you have kids and and then you leave. I just have people who I love. And, and luckily I've got some retreats and things where I get to meet up with them. Uh, yeah, we meet up like once a year, but I think you end up with a bunch of churn there with like your willingness to go where like that mission field is, like that passion place is. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we'll ever, like I don't imagine we'll ever live in St. Louis again. And that just means that there's this whole piece of our lives that we won't really interact with. But when you were growing up, did you, was it similar? No. Or were um, you pretty I think set, that, stationed in one spot? The part, yeah. So we were, we lived in McAllen, then we lived in Corpus Christi. The thing that was different is both of my parents for most of my life were in their own business. Okay. Almost a dance studio. My dad did a whole bunch of stuff. And I think I always had that bug to, to want to do something. And also, I think to find a lot of meaning and purpose in the work that I did. That might, that's the other part that's been challenging because my wife is like in this catch 22 place. Well, if I am not working on something that I really care about, I'm just sad. I'm just like, just like a lawnmower sitting outside with no gas in it. I think that was supposed to do a thing and it's just rusting. And then if I am at a place that I really have that, I'm gone. It's either you're all in. Yeah. Running at 100% filled. 
Yeah. Uh, or not. And so I have a backyard office now. And the way it would work is I would have first shift at work. And then we'd meet, we'd have dinner, dinner as a family, I'd read some stories, put the kids to bed, and then I have second shift. And then I go to the backyard office, and depending on whether or not we were running 24-hour shifts or like what was going on, I was back at it until like basically I couldn't see straight. I'd pass out and do a whole thing again. Do you have a futon out there or something that you could take a nap on? Or did you actually make it back in the house? No, I did have a little couch, but one whole wall is glass. And I think that's what helped keep me awake most nights. Because if you're in the darkness and one whole wall is glass in a little shed that you're in, mm -hmm. the Slender Man's going to show up at some point. And so you've just got to be like awake and ready for that. No, I was not going to sleep out there. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I hope not. No, I can see that. That's why I sleep with my music playing. Yeah. Because if it's quiet, yeah. They'll sneak up on me. <laughs> Perfect. Not to fill it with noise, so they could sneak up on right, me. Right, right. It's, it's completely rational. Yeah, it's like a kid under their blanket, except you're just under a blanket of sound. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, feels yeah. very comforting. Yeah. What, what effect has networking and community made in your career as working at the startups versus uh, working at the full enterprise? Yeah. I don't, other than that first job, I've never gone somewhere where I didn't know somebody or, or somebody didn't recommend me to the position or have had an experience with me where they say, hey, I want to work with you again. I think that I am not good at networking. Like I am not gonna go into a room of people and I think the word is hobnob. I'm not gonna hobnob anybody. Mm, okay. Yeah, that feels important. Yeah. I'm just not, I'm not gifted at that. I'm not gifted at walking into a room and saying, hey, I'm amazing and we should be pals. But I think what I do is I work my butt off. And so you're an introvert then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, where I did. Get, where do you get your energy? Yeah, I get my energy from reading and then having undisturbed periods of deep thought, which is great because I have a two-year-old at my house and I'm. They don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what that means anymore. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do get my energy from there, but I also, I just spent a lot of time doing theater as a kid, as a way of combating this terrible shyness, and got to the point where I can flip a switch on, and seem. Yeah, Somewhat. You, you seem very yeah, outgoing. This is good. I, that means the switch works. works. But it means that every time like I go, we had those little bathroom stalls at work where it was just like one little isolated bathroom stall. And I would just take a deep breath in there. Take a like, brown bag yeah, and hyperventilate yeah, a little bit. Like, and then come back out and just be like, hey. But yeah, I think that the network there is is like more of an earned network of people that you just, you want to be in that position with again. Mm -hmm. Because I... If you've been in a startup, you've been through something, right? And, and there are some people that things get rough and they're just like, I am out. They either physically shut down, emotionally shut down, mentally shut down, they exit the room. And then there are some people who just roll their sleeves up, sit down next to you and say, we're, we're in this together. Mm -hmm. and you're not gonna let me down. I'm not gonna let you down. We're gonna go after this. So it's very, very personal. Yeah. But that's, for me, that's the drug, right? That's the thing. It's not only do you get to be on mission for something you can really believe in, but you get to be forging this community mm -hmm. of sweats, of people who are like willing to, to move beyond what's comfortable. I do think that I spend more of my life than I want comfortable. It's just so easy. I have two thermostats in my house. Upstairs, right? downstairs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. School I mean, system, it's of efficient. Course. Yeah, but, but we have so many ways that, like, I, if I want, I can have people deliver ice cream to my house. I don't have to do anything, right? And so going into spaces where 
you get to be uncomfortable and you get to be pushed and you get to figure out like where are my how capable am i yeah where are my boundaries and what can we do if we dream together i, I think you can mature into some other areas where you can say now you're obsessed with the craftsmanship of whatever job that you're putting out and, sure but i do agree like there's this thing where well, i don't have the attention to detail to do that do you i have grown that attention to detail it, i don't think that was there for a long time but mm -hmm. One of the things that I did get over the course of my career, I try to surround myself with people who are better than I am. Oh, I, I'm yeah. like desperate to find people who, when I work with them, yeah. I come away and I'm like, oh man, like I, like I learned something. And I think that's pushed on that sense of craftsmanship for me where now I find more delight in, in building like a good architected system rather than just a functional system because oh okay that's yeah interesting. That's yeah cool. just because in some ways i'm like oh yeah i learned this from charles or i learned this from ben or this is a really interesting idea that chris taught me and in some ways those are some of the pieces of the people that i've worked with that i carry with me. Mm. i carry their sense of passion and craftsmanship and then i, I get to have that as part of my like growing bucket of tools you're feeling imposter an imposter syndrome a hundred percent yeah, yeah. In what way yeah, I'd, so that thing that I was saying earlier where be willing to just ask questions. Mm -hmm. I'm at a point in my career where uh, at least I, I started a new job like five weeks ago, right? I cannot count the number of times somebody has said, I'm sure you know that already. And like, maybe. Yeah, yeah. mine's, uh-huh. Yeah. And then two weekends on the internet learning about that. That's so exactly right. In, I do know about that. Yeah, I yeah. do. I know about that yeah. now. But it's that thing where because you have a reputation and then everybody has expectations of you and I've just, you end up with these nights where you sit down and you say, wow, I should be a lot better at this than I am. But I don't actually think that's, I don't think that's the job. I think the job is like being willing to figure stuff out. But so I did not, because I didn't go to school for computer science, like one of my favorite books that I have, it's like it lives on my bookshelf, mm -hmm. is The Imposter's Handbook. Okay. And it was written by this guy in Silicon Valley who also did not go to school for computer science. And the whole book is, I had to research all the things I did not learn and this is what came from my research. It's a great book. Mm -hmm. And because there is a different language that comes out of it. Everything that I learned until I started surrounding myself with people who are specialized in it for years and before I started like, I'm pretty much always reading something mm -hmm. right now i'm reading the staff engineer's path which is okay. a really great book by a female software engineer which is fantastic oh, it was, yeah it's a it's so important because this industry has been so like dominated by guys that look like me yeah it's been neat to see the voices growing anyway i think i just spent a lot of time wondering what did i not know and and being afraid of conversations yeah, I think you've got an opportunity to build a kind of community here and a narrative around what startups look like. And that thing that I was talking about, how like every startup I think will break your heart at some point mm -hmm. by either growing into something new or dying. There are a lot of people who carry their wounds really vocally in this community. Okay. But don't carry that, but wait, there's a really cool story here. 
they're still going to call their friends that they met the next time they have a big project. They're going to be like, hey, come join me on this project. They're still going to want to meet up. They're still going to, in their quiet moments, in my quiet moments, I'm going to be thinking about some of the friendships that I forged in these times. And if you forget about that, mm -hmm. if you forget about all of the stuff that draws you back into this, I think you're missing like a huge thing. It, it's, if you run into somebody and all they do is complain about their ex-girlfriend, but they never talk about what it felt like to be in love. There's something super backwards there because you would not be this angry if you didn't find something that you loved and lose it. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah. And this new term that I just learned him is called Regency Bias. And Regency Bias is making a decision, biasing your decision on something of the most recent information you have, not taking into account everything yeah. else. And so when someone breaks up with their boyfriend, girlfriend, that's the most recent thing they have. And so they default on that negative. And one thing I did raise was like, that's why people don't want to share because they're just, they're at the end of the work relationship. Yeah. And those are the hardest stories. The ones at the beginning when it was fun, those are the coolest stories. Oh, so cool. Those yeah. are the easiest ones to talk about and those are going to share. But that's, it's very interesting that you brought up the same thing. So that's, yeah. that means that we're on the right track. <laughs> yeah, I feel it. And part of that is also, we talked a little bit about some of the people, because you really do meet some characters in this, and you meet some of those like visionaries. And I think one of the most important skills that really successful leaders have, and I feel like it's been a huge gift in my life to be around successful leaders, mm -hmm. is their ability to interpret their own narrative, right? Gotcha. So there is a thing in the industry where they will say, we love funding failed startup founders. There is actually groups of people and there are, there are equity firms that will try to fund startup founders who have failed in something before. But it's contingent on how do they paint the picture of that failure? Like how do you rebound from it? Because there is, I wouldn't call it a hardening, but I think that if you're able to talk about it later on and you're able, and, and you're not saying, gosh, I made this terrible mistake. And then the industry turned and the economy went to crap and then this happened and then the funding dried up and everybody left me and no, this person didn't deliver their thing. If you only think about that stuff and that becomes your guiding narrative. That's excuses, right? Yeah, that, I think so. It's a lack of ownership. Yeah. You gotta own your decision. You gotta own yeah. the consequences of that decision. But I think that's the thing that, because I carried that narrative from that very first startup, that super all right one, where I had these friends and I couldn't follow through and I did this stuff. That narrative broke my heart for 10 years. And, and I carried that with me. It's growth. It's yeah. personal growth. Yeah. It's you learned not to overextend yourself, not overpromise, kind of like temper that a little bit. Yeah, because you were the word, not rambunctious, but maybe a little. But <laughs> naive at least. Naive, yeah. yeah. and. Don't know your limits yet because you're so young. Yeah, I'll also just advice for anybody who might be listening right now. If you're like three people, don't start a C Corp or an S Corp because like- okay, But that's your dad's fault. Yeah, it's my dad's fault. But because you don't need that paperwork in your life, yeah. especially if you're 24 and you hate paperwork, like- And board meetings. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because you have to sit on every seat of the board. Yeah, yeah. and then, yeah, but if, if that, that, those board meetings were ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That felt like gathering around a Monopoly table mm -hmm. and, and then trying to have adult conversations and then documenting them. It was absurd. Anyway, not recommended. I don't know if you're, you're ambitious. Yeah. I think that was the thing. It's like yeah. temper your ambition. Yeah. You were I, like, oh, I can do it all. 
yeah. had that uh, Superman complex yeah. that we all have. Yeah. There's a phrase that I really like. It's, we did this not because it was easy, but because we thought it would be easy. <laughs> we did this not because it was easy, <laughs> but because we thought it would be easy. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It, it's amazing how a fairly clean, simple idea, mm-hmm. when you get into the details, and those can be hard. I've definitely, I, at this point, have people who I would consider good friends who are millionaires several times over from just being in this environment, starting their own company, being in a startup at the right time, making that thing work. And I also know people who have tried to do the same thing and have come out of it just just devastated. That didn't end up getting to be their story. But the thing, there's a big but with that. Is. Both sides. The but is the, I don't call it the ancillary benefit. I think the money is the ancillary benefit. I think yeah. the prime benefit is the network, the connection, and the community. Yeah. I mean, we're, humans are made for community. Yeah. We're not supposed to live in isolation. Yeah. Um, in fact, we'll go crazy to live in isolation. Even the introvert has to get out of this right uh, I can confirm and, that. And yeah. does a really good job at it. Sometimes the extrovert needs to go and take a nap. Yeah. For whatever reason. I've got to shed my backyard if you ever want to take a nap in that. Great. But what about the center man in the glass? <laughs> no, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fine. <laughs> but we're made to be in community. And I think COVID has shown us that because we got out of community. Yes, we were still blind. Oh, man. I, you- I We did a virtual dinner with three other families about a month into COVID. That was the weirdest. That was weird. Just basically sitting in front of a video camera, eating. And, Something and, different. And, and talking to people. Or did yeah. you coordinate the food? Oh, no, we did coordinate the food. Did you? Uh, yeah, one of the one of the girls dropped off gift baskets of dinners for all of us. It was, that was actually, that was really great. The only way I made it through COVID was having a major accident. They kept me from doing more stupid stuff because of like how much I need to get out and be around people. Yeah. Um, it's the only way that I think I made it through there because I had to stop. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, again, back to the networking thing, I think we crave it. Yeah. Whether introvert, extroverted, or people outgoing or not, we just crave the community and the connection. Yeah. There have been, so in that warehouse that like we remodeled on the east side, there was mm-hmm. a day that I like took some friends of mine there. They were like jackhammering the floor in order to like refloat the concrete in there. There's another startup that I was at where we had purchased this giant warehouse I think you remember we we got on our one wheels and went through there. That's what caused that accident. Yeah. Now, the accident of COVID. Yeah, I did break my collarbone. So well, I remember that, that was by the way. Yeah. I get a call on Sunday afternoon after church. Yep. Sitting there, Aaron calls and he's like, hello, friend. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing, Aaron? Oh, what does it feel like when you break your shoulder? <laughs> And I'm like, if you have to ask the question, it's probably broken. It's probably broken. And it was. But if you look at it, we had these, this moment where there was that empty warehouse Mm -hmm. that was like a staging ground for something incredible, right? And I think you do. I think you want people who are willing to dream with you Mm -hmm. and, 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 and try to do something unusual because it seems super trite, but we do, we do have one life and I, no shame to anybody who wants to go and work at an enterprise company and just work their way up that corporate ladder. I, I think that's actually pretty great. Have a life outside of it. For me, I want to be able to look at something mm. that I was a part of building and celebrate. 
And so like when the startup we were at, like when I see that, when I see it in, in my newsfeed or whatever, like I'm just so ecstatic about it. I love seeing like positive things coming out of there because I know that like there was a small like seed of people that were really necessary to get that moving. Now there's a seat of people who are really necessary to keep it moving. Yeah. But to be part of that story, part of that chapter, like we mm -hmm. talked about, I think that's where you want the community because who do you call when you want to do that? Yeah. And how do you know when you've got the right people to for go you. and do something? I think these startups are rocket ships, mm -hmm. right? And they're moving so, so fast. And tensions are high and like, the expected output is really high too. If I have one regret from the recent history, it's that I didn't go and find mentors and people who could help me navigate like this mm. incredibly rapid transition because I was still in St. Louis. The kids were losing their minds in the house. And so I started working out of the garage and I had the windows open because it was not comfortable outside. And I'm, I'm in this garage and it's not refinished, right? I've just put a desk in there and I'm sweaty. And then I'm being told, hey, I'd like to promote you to head of software. And I literally turn the camera around and I'm like, there is a, there's a weed eater five feet from me. It's my coworker. What are you doing? What is going on? And so, but it, it just kept moving so quick that imposter syndrome would kick in really easily. And it shouldn't because actually the people who are there getting things to from step one to step two to step three, they had a kind of wisdom that was born out of that. Mm -hmm. That There's actually- discernment. Yeah, like, I, yeah. You needed that for those management roles. If you just like, if you just helicopter drop somebody in as a manager for a, a leader at, at some point in the team to hire and scale, are they gonna know what it looks like to hire a right fit person for that company? Like, yeah. but in truth, I kept gravitating back to let me get back in the field. Let me get back to the software. And the reason I walked away from the, the role that I was in is because, because I didn't know how to make that transition. You in didn't a way that, know how or did you not want to? I, uh, both, both. But I think there was a lot of good to be had in that transition. It's just hard. Why did you not want to? Does it sound like you did? Yeah, I, it, it's pretty mixed. You lose the community. Right, so the moment that you move into more of a leadership role, at least where I was, that meant that I was now sending people out to be in the thick of stuff, like mm -hmm. to be out in the field, to be making things happen. And then I would be sitting back. And I didn't want to make that exchange. And quite frankly, I didn't make that exchange. I, I kept going into the field, but I like wore myself out. Because you're filling both roles now. Yeah. and. Yeah, and I don't know that I was, yeah, I just, I just wish I had, I'd had some people around me who helped me navigate that because I think that there was some real good to be found in, in moving into that leadership role if I could have figured out, okay, what is what is this new sort of community feel like, right? right? It's interesting you say that about the mentor yeah. aspect. The only reason why I ended up getting, I had two mentors while we were there. Henry was one and Evan was the other. Yeah. And the only was, reason... Huh? Yeah, those the, are good. The only reason good. why I had a mentor period is because I had been there rehab. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. I finally realized that like, when you go through a 12-step program, you need a sponsor. Yeah. You need someone that has been there, done that, to guide you along those steps. And that has just stuck with me. That's incredible. Them. Yeah, that's incredible. 
Thanks, Aaron. I like Aaron talking. I like to hear stories. Yeah. And I think other people do too. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Everyone has a story. Yeah. Cool, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hopefully the music wasn't too loud. We're going to find out. We'll find out. Yeah. I'm going to try to see if I can work my magic. <laughs> Three days later, I'll come out of the house. I got it. I got it. I've now removed these dope tunes. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of Startup Anthology, the podcast. We'll be starting a topical series soon, so please comment on what topics you'd like to hear about or leave a comment about your story in the startup world. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share the show. Join me next time for another episode in which we will talk to more people who have worked in startups and learn about their unique journeys.